This is a podcast from Minute Media. Oh, <laughs> it would be a wolf, but I. Hello and welcome to a Wolves Fancast special. Thanks for joining me, Gully, your host today, as well as Jaffo and a special guest in Dan Butler, the man behind the excellent summer 2022 recruitment plan that you may or may not have seen shared around the Wolves Twitter sphere over the last couple of weeks. Um, if you haven't, fear not, we're here to give you a taster of what to expect as Dan, with the tiniest semblance of help from myself, um, sourced a number of transfer targets that could turn Wolves from a laborious, profligate team to a more aggressive, clinical and altogether more entertaining side to watch. Whisper it quietly, but we may even be transitioning to a back four next season. Um, Dan, before we kind of get into the the nuts and bolts of of, of the plan, just wanted to kind of talk through your background as a Wolves fan. Um, People who may have uh, heard from you before, especially on our podcast as well, may may have noticed uh, not quite the black country accent. yeah, no, I'm uh, I'm lacking the accent, definitely. Um, my old man's from Cosley, though. Um, I was just saying to you guys, my my granddad was in the the Tipton area to, in the last year and a half, and um, yeah, never had a choice really since I was a kid. First game, I think was I think it was Robbie Keane's last game at Molyneux. I think we, I want to say we drew nil nil with Portsmouth. Um, I'd love to say that was what got me into it, but it's not one of those games you remember that well. Um, but since then, yes, ever since then. Nice. Okay. Well, I mean, that is a pretty storied kind of uh, period of, of, of Wolves fandom. So we've been through the been through the rough rides um, to, to kind of end up here talking about you know Champions League footballers potentially joining the club. Hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, going through the uh, going through the struggles of League One and all of that. It's uh, it's nice to be able to even discuss these sorts of players. But yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, before we kind of get into the prospective signings, um, naturally there was kind of a process of taking stock and, and highlighting the areas of improvement that were required, um, especially in order to try and implement a back four, which I know um, I think we're all kind of aligned on, which is the, the way we really want to go with this. Um, but if we kind of kick us off with this graphic here, which which is from, from, from the plan, um, there were four positions specifically which were identified, a new centre-half, preferably a right-sided one, um, two new central midfielders, one with a more defensive kind of mindset and one player who could p- perhaps uh, join in with the attack a little bit more and also a new starting striker. You can see, obviously, the, the depth options that are available to us um, based on you know, things like Morgan Gibbs-White coming back to the club as well. Um I mean, Jafo, at first glance, is this kind of where your head's at with uh, trying to turn the team into uh, a more attacking uh, outfit as well? Yeah, I think looking at where we've where we've gone in the last couple of years and especially the transition period between Nuno and um, Bruno Lage is that, that we have had that stagnation with the way that we play football. Uh, and I think especially through last season where we didn't score enough goals, 
Uh, I think that needs to be the, the main focus now on creativity and creating chances. Uh, and I think by going to a back four and especially going to a four-two-three-one, that would give us um, something where we could focus on and, and, and improve the team. So, I mean, I know you're, you're actually kind of in the early days of, of forging a career within scouting at the moment. I guess yeah. all of us think we, we know a player, think we can identify a player. Um, yeah, what are the kind of, in terms of actual theory, I know you're kind of studying this at the moment, aren't you? What, what mm-hmm. is the theory behind talent ID that you, that you think you, know, you really need as the foundation for, for, for picking up players? I mean, it's very, very much dependent on the position that we're talking about. So if we were, we were we're focusing on a striker, we have to look at not only what he does as a primary attribute, so scoring goals, but his secondary attributes as well. So we have to split it down into in several areas. So we have to look at how he carries the ball, how he breaks lines, and essentially and how his creativity works as well. Um, because when we're talking about a team like Wolves, if you are playing with that single striker, they need to be a complete footballer as well, and somebody you can potentially you could play in a, the number ten position. Um, so when we have to look at it, we have to break it down. We have to look at, like I say, those several areas and break it into primary and secondary tasks. And I think for a club like Wolves, they need to be a complete rounded player to suit our system and style. Yeah, I mean, kind of nicely brings us on to. Dan, your your approach to this, I guess, where it's, I mean, started from the back at centre half. What were the key attributes that you were looking for um, before you started profiling these players? I guess um, it sounds bad, but the, the anti Cody, if you like, right? We needed someone with a bit of speed, more height, uh, physically imposing. Um, someone's going to win their aerial duels. Is good on the ground, but is also able to to progress the ball somehow. Um, Starting you use that as a basis, and, and from there, sort of came up with a list that you sort of we've seen before. Okay, so we'll we'll move forward um, from back to front. Obviously, um, we have kind of handpicked a few prospective signings, but um, you know, Dan had a really extensive kind of profile of, of many many different players. You'll see in the ticker across the bottom of the screen all the players that were highlighted highlighted in depth within Dan's plan. Um, so, I mean, once, once, once you've finished here, you can go, head over to, to uh, Dan's Twitter page and, and actually um, actually find him at D Butler Analysis um, is his handle. And you can delve into much more detail uh, than we'll be covering in this, uh, in this podcast. But, you know, starting with what I would call personally um, a bit of a football manager favourite. Um, and I was, I was, I was, it was nice to see him come up actually. But at centre half, the first player we, we wanted to touch on was Anel Ahmed Hodzic. Now, obviously, the, the transfer windows are very, it's a very moving feast. Uh, things are happening all the time. We're reading so many different things on social media. But I think Ahmed Hodzic has a really interesting kind of situation at the moment. If you if you weren't aware, I think Bordeaux have been uh, sanctioned. For financial irregularities, that's actually relegated them down to third tier now. Am I, am I right? I think that's what's happened. Um, yeah. And Ahmed Hodges himself was was on loan initially in January to Bordeaux. I think there was a, a mandatory option to take him on a permanent basis, but unfortunately Bordeaux got relegated as well. Um, made 15 appearances over the second half of the season. Um, also uh, had a little short spell at Nottingham Forest uh, in his youth, and they could be kicking kicking themselves for not maybe hanging on to him. But um, what was it about Akhmet Hodzic that kind of drew you to him, Dan? 
I think it's interesting you mentioned about the the Forest thing straight away. I mean, he was only 16 and they decided to fork out half a mil on him at that point. So they definitely saw something when he was just at that age. Um, now you're looking at a player who is, or has the potential anyway, to be a proper Champions League quality centre-back in the next couple of years. Um, I think quite often we look at recruiting for different positions. We sort of fall into this trap of looking at the players that have already played at that level, right? Because you say, okay, they're, they're proven, you know, they've done it before. Whereas you can end up saving quite a lot of money by unearthing these players who maybe haven't played at that level quite yet, but are showing all of the signs that they're going to be able to in the future. Um, you know, he's got so many strengths to his game. He's, he's tall, he's physically imposing, he wins his duels. Um, he can pick an unbelievable pass, a line breaking and all of that. Um, he, it's He's not a complete centre-back. I think it's quite an unfair term to throw around just lazily like that. But he, he's got a lot of good attributes about him. Um, and especially with the, the situation with Bordeaux now, you're looking at a price that probably way off of what he's actually worth or going to, or going to be worth in future. Jafar, have you, have you come across uh, Akhmet Odzic? Uh, uh, yeah, a little bit. So, I mean, if we look at him, in, in his, so I've done a little bit of a comparison with Akhmet Odzic against um, Cody because that's what you're you you know you're saying. Um, we want the sort of anti-Cody. Um, and he's, he's a very different player. He, he, he is a centre-back. He's more of a risk-taker. So he, he attempts more tackles per game. Um, you know, he's making more interceptions. He's, he's, he's making more... Um, fouls as well because he's trying to intercept the ball trying to tackle the ball trying to um physically stop the game he's stepping onto defenders a lot more than cody does um but the, with that then you get the negative side of people get past him a lot more so the, the dribble past stats do look a lot worse than cody so cody's around about uh 0.3 times per game he's been dribbled past whereas ahmed hodzic is around about 0.7 so, uh, but the thing is, when, when I'm talking about the tackles per game, there is a huge difference. We're talking 2.5 tackles per game from Akman Hosic to Cody's 0.8 and 1.5 interceptions to Cody's 0.7. So, you, as you can see, he's a lot more aggressive as a defender and, like I say, takes more risks, which is, which is nice. And that's something that we need to see in the way that we play football, especially with Bruno playing the high line as he, he wanted to. Yeah, I mean, I... I had a little YouTube scout earlier, as you do, um, and uh, the, the one thing that struck me about him is how aggressive he is and how front foot he, t- he tends to play. He likes to go to ground a little bit much, maybe, uh, from, from the clips that I saw, um, but that, that kind of initial you know, in, you know, insistence on actually being in front of his striker, it, it puts so much more pressure on players. I actually, I thought if we were to stick with a back three, I thought as, as one of the three, he could still kind of uh, be a, quite a, a useful player to have there as well, just because you've got that uh, sense of security with the extra centre half. You're 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 allowing him to play his natural game um, with being aggressive, but also probably secure yourself a little bit. Uh, you know, Dan, I know you've used the kind of the dog and the cat analogy previously. He's very much a dog, isn't he? And if you was to pair him with a Max Kilman, do you think one of them would would have to try and curb their naturalist instincts a little bit? Uh, it's an interesting point. I, I did consider sort of. Playing into that sort of cat dog idea when I was looking at centre backs and thinking, right, well, how can I sort of quantify what a cat's going to look like versus what a dog's going to look like? Um, yes, one of them would probably have to be slightly less aggressive and, and chasing the ball sort of into the middle of the mid into the middle third and things like that. Um, 
the pair of them have would have enough recovery speed, I'd hope anyway, and I think, that, yeah, they might well be caught out of position every so often, but they should be able to make that up, um, especially when you're flanked with Sumedo, who's pretty quick, and, and Nate Nori, who can get cover ground pretty quickly as well. You feel a little bit more confident about having two centre-backs with a similar profile next to each other when you've got those sorts of players to, to rely back on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, just kind of touching on a couple of other players that came up in the plan. Uh, Tosin Adrobio, uh from Fulham. I think he's someone that is, is obviously earned his, his, his corn at the at championship level, looks to be quite a dominant player in the championship. Um, I, I mean, translating that into the Premier League, we've seen in recent times players like Michael Elise, uh, Jared Bowen. It's it's not the um, the the kind of route that that people might have seen it as before. There was always that that fear that players wouldn't necessarily be able to transition into the Premier League like they used to. Jafar, do you think do you think Adrobayo has a Premier League career ahead of him? From looking looking at his um, his stats from the season with Fulham in the in the Championship, I mean that gap, as you say, he's he's, he's closing up a lot now between the two leagues. And the players who are at the very top of the championship, they, they can transition. Um, but if you look at what he's done in the championship compared to what, say, we'll go back to talking about comparing it to what one of our players again is against Cody, is the stats are very, very similar. I know it's a, the league below, but the stats are almost identical. So you're almost talking the same interceptions, tackles, uh, clearances, blocks per game. So this is a player who's 24 years old against Cody, who's a seasoned international pro, coming up with 29, will be 30 next year. So this is an impressive stat. So if you can translate that into the Premier League and and improve and coach with coach within um, within his game and, and, and put him against better players week in, week out, there's no doubt that he'll, he'll step up to be a Premier League player. Yeah, just, I mean, just a thought just occurred to me about kind of the way we go out and, and, and measure these players and I think there's a lot of people out there that would dismiss the analytics side of things, the numbers that we're, we're kind of throwing out there, you know, to the extent where they, they just think they're not worth it. I don't think there's any data kind of minded people who would insist on data being the only way. Um, but from your guys' perspective, how much do you think data should play a part in, in the judgment of a, of a footballer? Um, I- I'd always urge caution when it comes to, to defenders and centre-backs in particular. Um, I think it lays the basis for the sort of players you're looking for and then a combination of the data and the eye test is, is what's going to get you the best result. It's always difficult with defenders because, you know, I, I remember seeing something, I think it was earlier this season, um, that Grant Hanley had made more tackles than Harry Maguire, right? And that was doing the rounds on social media to sort of as a stick to beat Harry Maguire with. Well, there's a reason for that, though. It's because he's in a defensive side that's going to be having to commit much more tackles and, and, and fight in the air much more frequently than Maguire's having to. So you do have to be slightly careful when it comes to certain positions. Um, but I do think as well that the most forward-thinking and, and progressive and successful clubs now are relying on that, that baseline of data to sort of profile and scout the kind of players they're looking for. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that's the, the, the when you're looking at the early stages of scouting and you want to identify a list of players that you want to actually go and look at, I think that's where the scouting data comes in. And if you look at what the players are doing in metrics at that point, then you can create your shortlist and that's when you, you've got to go and look at them because 
unless you say, like you say, looking at a player and actually watching them and how they play and 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 actually seeing what they do within tactics of a game and and, and how that compares to to who they're playing against or the, the type of the game or the importance of the game can't never come across in numbers. So it's a combination of the two. Um, but like I say, it's, it's it's great for creating a short list. Yeah, it's, it's probably never been the case within football history that tactics have probably affected the way a, a player naturally tends to play. I think you know they're all very much part of part of ecosystems, aren't they? That that might allow you to flourish, might might curb you a little bit, but ultimately there's so many caveats to to some of the numbers that players are posting for sure. Um, the other defender that um, that that we wanted to pick out as well was Duje. Chaleta Sar, I think, is the way you pronounce it. Um, clearly, a, a you know, European kind of level talent. Uh, the, the, the one question I had around this one, Dan, was um, in terms of the valuation that you put against him. Um, what what is that, are you basing that upon? I mean, I've got no sort of insider understanding of how much these players are going to be worth. The, the best thing I could, I, the only thing I was able to do really for the values was go to good old trustworthy transfer market and yeah. chuck a couple of mil extra on top because you know that that's always going to be the case yeah um this this it's not set in stone it's never going to be perfect um but it, it, it's probably a fair representation of what you would cost to be honest with you yeah to let us are you are you familiar with him uh, would, would you, what do you think of him yeah he's a, he's a he's a good centre-back I think he's in the last couple of years I think he's really improved um in the attributes where he was poor so I think his consistency was his consistency and mentality were two of the things that they could look at and they could say, okay, maybe that's an area that he's got to work on. But I think especially because Marseille played a lot more European football in the last few years, I think that's really helped him develop because week in, week out in the French League, it is difficult to, to actually improve and to challenge yourself. Uh, but because Marseille, say, we've been playing European football, it's really helped him to come across better players and really improve himself and push himself forward, which is nice. But yeah, I think I think the value that you put on there about around seventeen million isn't far off. I think I think the most I'd probably pay for him is probably around twenty. But I, the problem, the only problem with him is his speed probably is the slowest out of the ones that we've talked about. And I think he might be the one who gets caught out the most due to that lack of speed. Yeah, I, I wouldn't disagree with that. I, I'd also say as well is that when you compare him against an Ahmed Hodzic, what you're doing is, is, is this thing again of are you going to buy early and take the risk or are you going to buy the, the sort of known quantity? And I think in this situation, you you, you take you take the risk, right? There's, there's enough data there. We've got enough sort of video on this player now to know. he's By the time he gets to 25, he might well surpass these sorts of numbers and these sorts of performances that Shleta Sar is, is able to put in right now. Yeah, well, look at, look, if we look at, at um, our actual squad, uh, I've got a little bit of a graphic on my other screen I'm just looking at. So if, when we look at like um, scouting and we look at uh, building up a report on a team, we look in major, three major areas. So we're looking 18 to 23, 24 to 28, and then 29 plus as age groups. Wolves have a surplus of players, 18 to 23, which is a good thing because it means we've got the time to develop these players. But the problem is when you've got a a, 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 gra- a a great amount of players in this area, is you start you have to start thinking about that mentality issue. Um, so if we go through a rough patch, how do these players pick up? How do they uh, adapt to it? 
And that's one thing maybe that plays into Calcetta Car's hands because he falls into that 24 to 28 age bracket where he's got more experience. You know, he when you do have these rough times, he's one of the people that can turn to in the dressing room and he can be the leader, somebody who pull off experience. Whereas with Ahmed Hodzic, he's not played as much professional football. Um, and not to say that he wouldn't step up and he wouldn't be that voice in the dressing room, but it's when you're saying he's in there with the likes of Toti Gomez, 23, Yerson Mosquera, 21, um, and then the people who are older than him, Max Kelvin, 25, Cody, 28, and then Bolly's 30, and we've lost Sace, 31. So it's, it's about having those leaders around the squad uh, and how he's going to be able to step up and, and, and be part of that. Yeah, no, there's definitely some intangibles that, you know, you, you, you almost wouldn't know until you know the players in the building, would you? Um, so it's a it's a difficult one to like you say. It is it is always a risk bringing any player in. But we'll move on to midfield, um, and I think this position has been a bone of contention uh, for a while um, for the club. We really operated on the Dendon Neves, Matinho triumvirate ever since well 2018 2019 season when we first came up. Um, there hasn't really been a player who's come through and, and offered an alternative to those three. Um, whether it's been, you know, they've been looking for a, a youngster to come in and, and do a job. Someone like a Bruno Jordan might have been highlighted as a player like that who might have been able to, to come through, but that hasn't happened. Um, so I think that it's clearly on the radar and from all the reports that we're reading, um, you know, with all the links that were, that were being made to to a certain Portuguese uh, couple of players um, in, in the social media sphere at the moment. Clearly, it's something that we're targeting. Um, we haven't actually got Joao Polina, um on, on our radar at this point, uh, but we might have a, a certain other sporting midfielder to, to pick apart. But starting with kind of a more defensive-minded player, and um, really interesting one for me, this was a player I wasn't familiar with until, until you kind of brought him to our attention, Dan, but... Vinicius Souza, who is on loan at KV Mechelen in the Belgian top flight from Lommel, who are in the Belgian lower leagues, managed by Steve Bald. I don't know if you noticed that, um, but a former Arsenal centre-half, Steve Bald, is actually in charge there. Um, I, I, do you know any? Uh, you have any more detail on that situation and how he's ended up going from Flamengo to, to the lower leagues and then kind of writing higher on the back of a loan? I've not got any background on him at all in that sense. Um, all I know is I was just trawling through the data and, and sort of sort of taking the same same approach that I'd taken for for the other players, and he sort of just jumped out at me for the numbers because the guys the guys ridiculous. Yeah. Um, I couldn't quite believe that he was faring so well across so many of the metrics that we're looking for in a, in a what I think we should be looking for anyway in a, in a DM. Um, he's He's the, he's the literal best of the crop that um, I was picking from for def, um, successful defensive actions and interceptions. He's just a really just physically imposing. He disrupts attacks. He likes to bite into players, intercept the ball. He lurks in good areas to nick it away from people. He's just really really well rounded. Um, the only drawback I think there is is. is possibly his, his passing could be slightly better and i don't mean that in terms of he's not got the technique or he hasn't got the the range or anything like that it's more that i'd like those accurate passes to be slightly higher for, for a dm just because you need that ball security and i think that's something that you said gully when you 
when you sent over what you th- thought we needed for these positions was someone who was safe on the ball. And I think if you are going to sit deepest like that, you, you have to be dependable to move it about safely and securely. And, and maybe that's the one area where I'd, I'd like to see some improvement. But for how much he would cost, a, a, there's a lot of transferable skills there, I think, is the biggest thing. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it immediately sprung out to me, you know, like you say, with the, the graphic that we've got here in front of us, um, how well he does in, in jewels and how, how, how physically he's clearly able to impose himself on midfield. Again, I, I did a little YouTube scout. Every every player seems to have a compilation these days. Um, so I was, surpri- I was surprised to find one, to be honest. But he really reminded me um, of uh, Adelin Gudura. I don't know if you, in terms of his physical profile, the way he moves... Um, clearly mobile and able to, to get about the pitch. Even when he found himself in wide areas confronted by wingers, he was, he was able to match them stride for stride and, 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 and you know, make a, make a tackle on them quite often as well. It just, it just, he even had quite a bit, a bit of a switch of play in, in, in some of the clips as well. So I think that's a really important asset to have, especially if, um, well, the way we've always played really, it's always been about trying to, you know, capitalise on the width within the team and things um, so it kind of really excited me um, this one again, Jeff. I don't know if you've you've come across a, a Souza before, but um, it's uh, it's an interesting prospect for sure. No, I can't. I can't say I've come across him before, but yeah, looking at the the, the metrics there, that that's just incredible for somebody who's um, you know who's, who's not long been in in, in Europe and uh, he's, he's you know he's quite young, twenty two years old. So it's, it's something that they need to look at. Like you say, he's taking risks with signings. Is we have to look at what other clubs who are in and around where we are and what they've done uh, in the past. I mean, all you have to do is look at what Leicester have done when they bought Kante from um, from League Two uh, in France. These players can step up. It's just about finding the ones, like you say, who shine in the leagues that they are. Now this guy obviously he's playing in in a in a lower league um, for quality in terms of Belgium, but he's standing above and beyond for someone who's who's not been involved in in professional football in Europe for for a long period of time to adapt and to show these sort of um, this sort of data is fantastic. And I think it's, for somebody if you feel if you were able to get him for around about five million pound, it's a risk worth taking. Because he, yeah. he he just looks like he would be able to say have these transferable skills that would really benefit the way that we want to move forward as a football club. Yeah, I I mean, it it seems like there's almost becoming a trend of Brazilian kind of robust central midfielders as well coming through. Uh, we've obviously got the likes of Fabinho, uh, Casemiro, who have been excellent, you know, at the European stage uh, for many years now. Um, someone like Bruno Guimaraes, who is a clear talent on the ball, but is also combative and, and able to impose himself in games as well. It, I don't know if you know the number ten of Brazil is now becoming kind of their their stock trade is now becoming you know these these really robust central midfielders. But like I said, he's got one season of, of European football behind him. I don't know about you. I, I feel like this is the kind of thing you know maybe a Brighton. Would go and pick up a player like like Souza. You know, we've seen like some Mwepu and uh, Caicedo come through and, and have a real impact for them second half of this season as well. But it shows that maybe there are a few gems uh, to be had out there. Um, less less of a an unearthed gem, but someone who's been on the radar of uh, some big clubs for a while now is um, 
Ibrahim Sangare, who is playing for PSV. Um, again, graphic-wise, you know, it's it's alarming how um, how dominant he is in in so many different areas, as you can see here on on, on Dan's plan. Um, I mean, are we fishing in a different pond to, to Sangare, Dan? Do you think, or is this a realistic sign? It's it's not as realistic, obviously, as, as someone like a like a Sousa. Um, and I think I say it in the, in the piece, it's the he's the dream player if you're going to reconstruct the midfield after Neves goes, if Neves goes. Um, but the, you know, it, I was thinking about it from a financial sense as well. Are we likely to fork out twenty five to thirty mil on one player like that? I wasn't sure at the time, but now we're seeing links to to Nunes, for example, who's going to cost us the best part of 40 and probably 5 million add-ons as well if we are to get him. It shows the club is willing to to sign this sort of player um, yeah. or uh, spend that sort of money. And I think it just comes down to whether the player themselves would actually want to take that. It's, it's, I'm not sure if it's a step down from PSV, but it's considering the options he will probably have available to him, it will be a step down. Um it's it's gone slightly quiet on sort of the transfer front for him. There were talks of Liverpool, there were talks of United. I've not heard anything in recent weeks, and I think if you get the chance to snap him up, you just do it in a heartbeat, and you think about it, think about it later, because that's a player you're getting for 25, 30 mil that is only 24. By the time he hits 26, 27, it, you could be looking at 55, 60, 65 mil sort of talent there. Yeah, um, the guy's a joke. It, I mean, it does take probably one good season of Premier League football to just elevate him to that to that kind of level, doesn't it? It's uh, it's it's definitely um, oh, he's clearly a prospect. But I, I mean, I don't know if you know um, you follow Tifo football, but Alex Stewart uh, off Tifo, I know, is basically a one-man PR campaign for Sangare, and uh, he's been touting him around for for a while. But um, he's in every sensible transfers video for about a year, I think. No, it's just it, 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 it seems strange to think, you know, and it, it's been pitched as basically a one man solution to many teams' midfields. It seems strange to think that there are so many teams with midfield midfields out there that could, could could be solved by this solution. Just if you see what I mean, I don't know if that makes sense, Jafo, but yeah, there are a lot of teams out there that back of midfield just seem to maybe be missing the trick. I mean, the, the, I mean, if you look at the teams who he's been linked with, I don't think he'd improve Liverpool too much. I think he'd be a squad player, uh, even with uh, Henderson getting a bit older and Milner uh, pretty much finished there. But Man United, um, I know he's been linked with them quite heavily um, this close season, but you like, like you say, it's gone a bit quiet. I think we're in a bit, a bit of a poor position with players like this because there's so many teams who need a player like this who um, has like these sort of attributes, but is he within that price bracket? And I think if I can see him going anywhere, he will go to United because of um, what they need. Um, because I, he's going to cost, I know he's, he's down about 25 million, but I think he's going to cost almost 40. I think he's almost in that NDD bracket. I know he's not played in a, in a great league, uh, you know, out of his is okay. But, He's just, as, as you say, he's this complete destructive midfielder, Some somebody you can build a whole midfield around and a whole team. And I think teams like Man United now, they, they're doing a complete rebuild. He is that guy that they can almost build a spine of a team around. Um, 
and I think he's he's one who's who's going to be in four or five years potentially the best in his position in the world. I think easily. I think when he's hits twenty eight, twenty nine, I think he could be the best at number six in the world easily. You heard it there, Jeff. Yeah, can't do the business. Um, to be fair, and we'll, we'll move on to the more advanced uh, central midfield option here. Clearly, Jeff's been taking notice because um, if you believe everything you read on socials, and to be fair, Fabrizio Romano has tweeted on this subject specifically in the last 24 hours. Um, we're going to touch on the Portuguese international from Sporting, Mateus Nunes. Um, I think at the time that you published this, I was kind of on the on the fence of, I don't think this is actually a realistic option for us. Um, you know, Pep Guardiola's uh, name-checked him specifically in, in a Champions League tie early this season, called him out as world-class, um, whether that was kind of a, a plea to, to appeal to Nunes as a potential signing this summer, who knows. But it appears to be the case that we are in for Mateus Nunes uh, of Sporting, um, 23-year-old Portugal international, sits kind of to the left of a central midfield. And the, the other thing that, that struck me about this, Dan, was the fact that he currently plays in a 3-4-3. Um, so do you think that would... Well, I, I know we, we, we're talking in the terms of a back four here, but do you think that aids him in, in the sense that maybe Bruno can alleviate the concerns of, of transitioning away and the risks that come with that by bringing in players who just maybe play with a different profile and a bit of different style? Yeah, I think if um, if you're making a transition from one system to the other, if you've got players who are flexible enough to sort of go from one to the other easily enough, that's going to make things a lot easier. Um, it's, it's not going to be plain sailing if we do do it, right? So there are probably going to be times in games and, and probably specific games as well where we have to go back to a back three. And if that's the case, then it is reassuring to know that someone like a Nunes has played in that that sort of system previously. Um, in a four, though, you just you sort of release him and you, you just let him do what he wants to do sort of thing. He's that talented. Um, you don't let him get too bogged down in the defensive work or anything like that. You just let him have the ball and create... Uh, progress it, dribble with it, um, operate in those sorts of tight areas that we've not had a player to do that in God knows how long. Um, like you say, I thought, when I published this, I thought he was also out of our reach. Um, and the only reason I really included him is because there had been sort of rumblings that we might have a chance. I don't know how slim that chance was. Um, and I think I said it in my in the verdict sort of section, this is the equivalent to us signing Neves in the championship, right? This is the, this is the statement signing. If we if we do it, I think it's a proper show of intent from Foson to say, right, we're back investing in the club again, and and this is a, this is us showing you that we're doing that. Um, he's, I mean, sort of the numbers sort of speak for themselves. The guy's not really got a hole in this game for the sort of role we're looking for. Yeah, I mean. I kind of compared it. I, there was a few questions uh, flying around the WhatsApp chat um, about who he is and what and the way he plays. I kind of compared him to one of my favourite players of all time, to be honest, in Moussa Dembele, but not necessarily as powerful um, as as him, but able to, you know, this this new 
kind of midfielder that everybody seems to be looking for again. You know, that press resistant player who, you know, in the heat of the moment can can take a second, can can work his way out of difficult situations and ultimately then open up the final third of the pitch, which is where I think we've we've really struggled because we have to, I still think we have enough talent at the top end of the pitch, as evidenced in kind of the the fact that we're not looking for maybe a number ten, we're not looking for a winger here within this this window. Um, I think there's enough talent there to, to take advantage of certain situations. But someone like Nunes would allow the pitch to be opened up in the final third for those guys to go and kind of take advantage of those situations. Um, do you feel, I mean, we're talking probably club record fee if, if this is to happen. Do we think he changes our game to that extent as well? I think I think everything you've, that's been said so far is, is perfect for him. I think he is that statement signing. I think he's the one who can really change what we do as a football club and the way we play our game because he, he, he is this complete rounded midfielder to just throw in, you know, the two. But um, he does carry the ball well. He passes the ball well. His defensive side is good. It's, it's very good for a, for a player who, who goes box to box and he creates a lot of chances. The only thing that he, he hasn't done in recent times is score enough goals. But he's within a, a sporting side that has some incredible talents up front. You know, the players such as um, po- who who was at Wolves, I mean, I'm, I'm not still upset about that, but <laughs> but it's the only, my only issue with, with him and us potentially signing him is Sporting could Sporting could lose three of their major signings this season. Jo- Joao Polinia, Matthias Nunes and um, Poe as well. So it's whether they'll be willing to let all three of them go or two of them go. Um, and I think to actually get them, like you say, we've got to spend a lot of money. We're talking 45 million euros. That is a lot of money that we haven't seen come from Fosen in recent times. But if they did get him, he would elevate what we do. And I think a lot of what he does and what he could do as a player would be similar to what Joao Martino was doing 10 years ago. And I think he's that sort of player and that sort of profile and it, it would just elevate the way that we could dominate games from midfield which is what's been missing the last two seasons yeah i know the kind of premise around identifying all the players that you've done dan is is to kind of show that there is a there is a path away from george mendes and his his kind of cabal of um, of players but given that he is of such quality, given that it seems we might have a bit of a favour in, in, in Mendez's pocket to, to cash in. How frustrating... Would you be frustrated by the fact that we're still going back into this this kind of method, or would you just take take what you can? Uh, I think if you get the chance to sign someone like that, you just do it, right? I, I, I get it, and look, I think you and I are pretty well aligned on this. We'd like to move away from that Mendez model. Um, but it's difficult. I'd like, like I said, I'd like to move away from it. But when you get the chance to sign someone like Nunes, who by rights should be playing in the Champions Champions League next season, without a doubt, you just do it. Especially if you're getting given the chance for a, a player that might might be worth double what we pay for him in about two to three years' time. Um, I'd still like us to to move away from that model, and I think. The sooner we do that, the better. But if we can sort of squeeze one last bit out of it, then this is probably the player to do it for. I wonder if, if 
you know, we we have that signing that elevates us to to that higher level, and and whether you know we, we become that really attractive proposition of a club to to work to a higher standard of player off the back. Of it. I guess that's the that's the holy grail, isn't it? That we we become a bit more of an established European outfit, and and we don't need to continue to go back to to Mendes for for deals and things. But you know, in, in, in true fashion, our, our other central midfield option is from Portugal as well. Um, kind of a pan shot version of Mateus Nunes uh, in in Andre Almeida, who um, profiles quite similarly, doesn't he? Um, at Vitoria Gimaresh, um, who have almost become a bit of a feeder club to some of the bigger clubs in um, in Portugal. A few players have come through there, uh, especially with, with the likes of Estoril as well. And and it always seems to be this kind of conveyor belt uh, through the Portuguese league up to a, 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 a bigger club and then the bigger move happens for teams. But uh, this would be a sign of us going down into the lower reaches of uh, the Portuguese league before some of these players blow up. I wonder whether maybe a Benfica or a sporting reporter would be looking at Almeida um, and, and seeing if that, you know, a replacement for, like we say, if Nunes leaves, uh, that that'd be an option for them. Yeah, I think you've seen, uh, I can't remember who the journalist was in, in Portugal, but I think he was saying the other day about it's crazy how many times the big Portuguese clubs will just pick these sorts of players up for minimal fees and then move them on in two, three years' time for three or four times what they paid for them. If you, We were sort of cutting out the middleman if we was to go for Almeida in that sense. Um, he's only a year younger than Nunes as well, and his numbers are extremely, extremely good. Um it's the same. I think it's the same sort of idea or thought process, if you like, as, as picking up someone like an Ahmed Hodzic, right? You, you get in the player for less, than, much less than he's going to be worth in future. And okay, there's a, a slight bit more risk atta- a, a, attached to him, but you're, you're banking on the fact that he comes good, and you're not having to fork out the 25, 30 mil that you would have to a couple of years down the line. You're getting in early enough. Um, I think that in itself is a massive positive about him. On the pitch, his, his passing is unbelievable. Um, he's just really, really progressive when he gets on the ball. He's comfortable when he sort of feels when he feels pressure. He turns out of it easily enough and, and gets away from his marker. Um, he's just a really good option there. And I think if if the Nunes deal was to fall through, like a, I think we probably all expect it will do at some point because it's it's Wolves and things like that happen all the time. Then he's a really good secondary option there to have. Uh, Jafar, I don't know if, you know, in, in the, the midst of your, your work with the scouting and stuff, it what are the kind of esteem these teams in the lower reaches of the Portuguese league held in, um, in terms of, you know, are they viable options for some of the bigger clubs to actually come in and take, take these signings directly rather than going through the, the typical channels? I mean, as we can see, like, from from players who've gone down to that sort of level um, and and used it as a like a springboard in their career, it's, it's a very useful sort of um, like area to look at. Um, I've, I've seen quite a few players who played in Liga and have, have not quite uh, developed their career, and they've gone to the Portuguese league to play player to teams like. Vitoria um, and that sort of level, and used it to actually springboard back up. I mean, looking at Andrea, Andrea, um, Andrea Almeida. Um, my only issue with him is I think maybe he's two years or maybe one year too early to come to Wolves, and I think it's maybe a Vitinha sort of situation. 
where he probably he wouldn't have the um, attributes to to make a big impact right away. I think he'd be somebody who would need to be a squad player. So you would have to be brought in on the fringes. But yeah, especially, I mean, if we're talking about players who've gone to lower league Portuguese teams and done well, I mean, uh, Banza, who was playing in League One in France, he's now absolutely improved his game. Uh, yeah, 100% is, is, is the areas that he needed to work on within terms of his physicality and his dribbling ability. Uh, he's improved. And I think these these clubs are great because there's no pressure on them. There's no pressure on them to to win games. I, I mean, there's still a certain amount, but the league allows them to develop and and be coached. And you've got some fantastic coaches who've who've really done well in the bottom of that league, and have developed some fantastic players. Like you say, have gone to Porto, and gone to Sporting, and gone to um, Benfica, and then just. Forty million pounds, thirty million pounds signings a few years late for some of the biggest sides in Europe. So it, it is almost like a feeder situation, but they are fantastic clubs and they play some really good football under progressive young managers who have stepped up to those clubs as well. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Vitinha, and obviously he's he's a hot topic at the moment with um, a potential move to PSG. There's a there's a mixed bag of uh, comments coming through from Wolves fans about that and the fact that we kind of passed up the option to sign him. Dan, from, I mean, none of us got the pleasure of seeing him in, in, in the flesh, unfortunately, given that it was a, a behind-closed-doors season. But what did you make of his impact at Wolves and would you have potentially taken that risk? <laughs> Difficult questions, isn't it? It's, um, it's easy to say with hindsight that that was a massive, massive miss, right? Um, and I think... If I remember correctly, sort of in that summer post Vitinha, most of the traction was we should definitely be sort of picking up the option on him. Um, from what I mean, how many minutes did he even play? Was it was it did he even make a thousand minutes that season? I don't think so. No, five starts I think was the the, the ultimate summer. I don't think he's getting anywhere near it from off the back of that. Yeah, I, I think you can look. I love Nuno, right? I still love him. Always going to, but. I think you can lay the blame squarely at his door for that. The, when, the, when the system is that negative and when he's so unwilling to take risks that showcase how good Vitinho could have been, inevitably it's going to have an impact on how we value that player. Um, and it means that the data around him is going to be worse as well. So you can't accurately assess how good of a player he is because you're not seeing him on the pitch enough. Um, and presumably they just thought it was too big of a risk to, to take. And it looks incredibly stupid now, but... What can you do? It, it, yeah, I mean, it's, it's funny you mentioned about, about data again because the problem is when Vitinha was at Wolves, that was the first season that Ian Cathro got involved. And the, the, the main um, issue that people have with Cathro, especially when he was uh, manager in Scotland, was he looked too much at data. He, he wasn't um, actually watching players play. He was looking at metrics too much. And I think... The, and I don't, I don't know for any sort of fact, but I feel that since um, Cathro came into Wolves, that that may have been a step that was taken within the club because there seemed to be a lot of focus move away from players' development and players like Virginia who were bought in were left at the wayside a little bit, which was frustrating. Um, I mean, talking about the fee, though, that it would have been £20 million, 
it, I think it is too much for a player of that that age and that ability. But then you know people weigh that up against how much was paid for Fabio, and it it's it, it does leave a sour taste in the mouth. But hopefully, hopefully the 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 Fabio thing actually does work out in the in the end, and I think I think it probably will. But um, yeah, I think that's where a lot of Wolves fans are really upset was because we 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 fought out a lot of money on him and Virginia as as like you say with hindsight he's become probably one of the best in the top 10 under 23 midfielders in the world probably and it's it, it, it's painful to watch <laughs> yeah <laughs> the way you, the way you put that then just made me feel really bad like for god's sake top 10 under 23 midfielders in the world um could have been us could have been us um, just before we move on from the middle of the part, I've got a comment here then. Be happy to keep Neves, uh, but we do need to freshen up midfield, in my opinion. I, I think it's an interesting scenario at the moment where seemingly we have Neves up for sale, but also not necessarily encouraging too many bidders at, the, at this point in time. What do you think changes for us if Neves doesn't leave? And I'm not talking financially. I'm talking about you know, the dynamic of the midfield. Would we need... To perhaps you know not sign two midfielders, would you be happy with signing just the one? It, Dan, what do you think? Um, it's difficult, isn't it? You, you can take Nunes out of the equation straight away because we're not spending that sort of money if never stays. That's just not happening. Um, the likes of Almeida probably look a little bit more appealing for for the fee cost. I think in terms of profile, you, you probably say. Neves then has to go back to sitting in a sort of DM role where he does get through a lot of defensive work and, and you sort of rely on him to securely, pro- not, not even necessarily progress the ball, just keep it safe and, and switch the play like he's been able to. I think it, in Nuno's last season, he was his defensive numbers were off the charts. He was unbelievable. Um, and it does impact his game further forward and further up the pitch, but he is capable of doing it. Um, if he stays, you have to partner him with someone in the mould of a, a Nunes or an Almeida, right? It has to be someone who can break the lines, who can carry the ball forward and get involved in the attack. Um, but again, at the minute, it, we're, we're stuck in a holding pattern, aren't we? we? Until we know what's going on with him, it's difficult to know what exactly we're going to need for next season. I, I think that's probably what's causing a lot of the hesitation around signing anyone at the moment. Yeah, I think that's... I, it, it, never suffers a little bit from being very good in several areas and i think he's he's very good at the defensive side as you said that num- the numbers are incredible in nuno's last season he was he was up there i think he was the third best um tackles in the league or the third most tackles in the league it was something incredible and he's very good at the attacking side of the game but the 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 one thing that can always be levied against nevers is his physicality in terms of his speed and his um his attributes in that area have never been quite good enough to be a box-to-box midfielder um, and to be into that um, into that uh, quality. Um, so to keep him, which I think is highly unlikely, yet you've got to play him with that younger player. And like you say, we'd have to look at someone like Almeida, but do we have the, the, you know, the time and the ability to develop a player like that? that that's what I'm, I'm more concerned about. I think if if somebody's got to go this season <laughs> to 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 really to really revolutionise what we do, 
and to remould the way that we play football, then Nevers, sadly, is the one that's that's got to leave because that's how we can, one, get the money and two, how we can evolve in the way that we play football because he is a master of so many things and I think that kind of holds us back because it's the players that you play around him. You, you need to invest some crazy money to, to bring in some somebody like Matthias Nunes, who's going to be the, the, at the same sort of level as Ruben. Yeah. You can't say he's highly unlikely to not, to not stay, Joe, because I saw a tweet yesterday saying he's 80% likely to still be at the club. Um, but, yeah. Well, who knows? Who knows? That's from that's from somebody's friend. Yeah. <laughs> um, we'll move on to the to the goal scoring part of the pitch, the centre forward position. As we know, this has been an absolute real key area of concern um, over the last season. Um, Raúl Jiménez not necessarily hitting his straps after coming back from his injury. Um, you'll notice that he, was he? Sorry, I'm, I'm just thinking about was he omitted from your your squad depth list? Down at the start, I think he was, yeah. Because I, yeah. I think I basically made the conscious decision to keep Mal. Because I think I think he's going to leave anyway. I think there's yeah. a decent chance he goes. I think even if, I, I think it's probably time, right? I, I love Raúl, but what I saw this season is a, is a player who's seriously dropping off in a lot of areas that you you start to see at his age. Yeah. Um, the injury did him no favours at all. Obviously, it's, it's horrendous. And the fact we even got him back on the pitch was, was a win, right? So forget any of the numbers or anything like that. The fact we even saw him in a wolf shirt again was massive. But in terms of moving forward, he I don't think he can be the the number nine for this for this side if we really do want to progress. Well, no room for sentiment on this podcast today. So we'll, we'll have a look at who could be taking his place. Um, and the first... Name we we have uh, to to discuss is Lois Appenda. Um, again, another player I actually had never come across, um, but someone who's had a really prolific season in Holland uh, for Vitesse Arnhem on loan from Club Brugge. Actually, uh, recently made his uh, Belgium debut and has already scored a goal from twenty eight minutes of international football as well. So, showing his prowess um, at a higher level. Um, than the Dutch Eredivisie you suggest. Um, now, famous for lots of top goal scorers coming over to, to to the Premier League and not necessarily flourishing. But the Eredivisie, it's not it's not the worst standard of football. It's it's, it's clearly a standard of football that I think allows technical players to flourish, allows attacking players to flourish. But he looks a, a real prospect. Uh, does a pender um, and uh, I mean again, done my little YouTube visit. For a compilation and adds, I think, a, a degree of pace to a forward line that I don't think we've got, especially without someone like Traore and, and especially without any of them really offering runs in behind. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think you rightly say about sort of the the famed strikers who come over from, from Netherlands and just do nothing over here or, or elsewhere. What I'd look to in that case is, is as you say, can you rely on it? He did play in Europe last season. Granted, it was the, it was the Conference League, but he scored three times. So there's a suggestion there that he can do it at a, at a good level. Um, and yeah, there's there's a lot of there's a lot to like about him. Um, he is quick. He is flexible. He can play in, in a number of positions. Um, I think that's actually quite a useful 
or would be quite a useful sort of attribute to have in the centre forward that we eventually hopefully pick up is is someone who's able to run the channels when they need to because they've got the speed to be able to do it and or put in a cross when they need to when, when there's for example might be Neto's coming in at the back stick then if you can get a sort of fluid front line or if you're looking for a fluid front line I should say he's the sort of profile of striker you'd look to um I've sort of added all of the the striker shot maps onto uh, onto their analysis pages in, in the plan, and that's probably my biggest worry about him is that he, he shoots from everywhere. <laughs> hmm. he, he's not shy of having a shot, um, which is the, the total opposite to what we've seen with Raúl in recent times, whereas he just can't get his shots off anymore. Um, but I do think at, at 22, and for the for the fee that you'd probably have to pay for him, he's pretty low risk, and and things like his shooting. And, and where his locations are and things like that, you'd be able to coach that out out of him by the time he's 23, 24, 25, and, you, and then you've got a really good striker on your hands. Yeah, you can blame me for the shot, the high volume of shot things. I did say we wanted someone who, who basically shoots all the time. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I wonder, Jafar, again, how, how aware you are of a pendant and this situation where he's on loan um, from Club, Club Bruges, is there potentially a shout for them to make him their, their main man next season, having having recalled him from Vitesse and, and whether that you know is something maybe they'll 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 sell on another player who's um who's who's been in, in situ this year, but what do you make of Appender? Yeah, from what I've said of him this season, he looks like you said a very quick player, very good. He links up the play quite well because he, he for for um, for a very fast forward he makes a lot of passes per game. Um, and he, he's very much involved in link-up play and start-up play, which is good, which is what Raul does quite well. Um, with regards to Club Bruges, um, I think they'd probably want to keep him. Um, so we'd probably have to pay a little bit over what his transfer value is. So you're probably talking £15 million. Um, There's a certain amount of risk with bringing in a player who's only played in Belgium and Holland, like you say. But if we could potentially look at signing him as well as an, an older striker, somebody in the mould of Seferovic, um, somebody who could help develop him and bring him on. I think that'd be good because we don't have a lot of players within that sort of um, 24 to 28 bracket in terms of strikers. We've got Leo Bonatini who's just never done it in the Premier League for us. And we've got Patrick Catrone who although has shown glimpses of being a good player as his career's um, uh, yeah, stagnated massively. So it's sort of, we need that experienced footballer um, just to bring him along. But you want somebody who's who's got a little bit more experience and has got, got a little bit more time to bring him on, which is, I think, with Appende, I think £15 million, if they could afford to spend all this money on all these players, I think would be a great investment alongside probably 5 million for somebody like Seferovic. Yeah. And, and, and that would be the ideal option. I think um, having seen the goal that he scored against, uh, against Belgium, it's exactly the kind of situation where we very rarely seem to find ourselves in. It was, it was quite similar to Huang's first goal against Newcastle. I think kind of made a run into right-hand channel, um, beat the keeper to the ball, and it was a nice finish. But those kind of strikers are exactly the type that we need, to, you know, not necessarily showing the, the 
you know, they're back to goal all the time and, and just playing on the shoulder of the defence, it's just something that I feel we lack entirely. Um, I mean, talking, we've, we've obviously decided within this to, to bring someone in ahead of Fabio Silva. Um, then what do you think this would mean for his future? Um, it's, it's a good question. I, I think, I think he's still, I, I, he's got a lot of work to do to still be that, that number nine that we can rely on. Um, I do think, I think he'll get there. Absolutely. And he deserves more chances than he's had in, um, certainly through the last season. I think what you do when you bring someone like this in is you, you, it's quite a lot of healthy competition when you do that, right? Appenda's considerably younger than Raul is. Um, and I think, Fabio can look at him and say, right, well, he's only this guy's only 22 that they brought in. This is someone I can fight against to win the number nine shirt off. And do you know what? If he was to do that, then with someone like an appendix, you've got the option to play him off the left, off the right if you needed to. Um, I, 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 I'm not sold on, I think I've seen a couple of times people have said on Twitter that we should we should be looking at a loan for Fabio. I'm not convinced that's, that's what he needs. Um, I think there might be value in in what Jafo said already about having that older striker to to come in and, and for these guys to learn off. I'm not convinced Seferovic is the guy, but I think someone in that mould is, is is a decent investment and perhaps something I should have or could have included in in, in the plan was this older style striker that can um, almost take these players under his wing and, and and show them what they need to be doing to be scoring scoring goals at this level. Yeah, it's an interesting uh, concept as well now where you, you kind of reference that Appender can, can play across the forward line. It, it seems to be the case that most teams are looking for versatility within their strikers as well. Um, I mean, Jafar, do you think there are players within our current setup that could maybe translate into centre forward, centre forwards as well? Or we, we really need to bring someone in? I think I think there's definitely a need to bring someone in. I, the, the, we've got we've got quite a, a, a large amount of forwards at the club. To be honest with you, I mean we've got as we mentioned, Raúl, um, Leo Bonatini, still a Wolves player, Patrick Catrone, Renat Dadishoff, um, Gibbs White can play as a, a as a sort of false nine, and Leonardo Campana. Uh, and none of them have really done anything when they've been at the club or even, you know, had chances to, during League Cup games. So I think I think that's one area that I think they're going to have to start cutting the losses on the players that they've got and, and focus on bringing in somebody who can really make a difference because the, the, the scouting and the and the work that they've done on the forwards in the in the last few years has just not been very good. Um, they've, and the chances, the players they've brought in haven't really hit the ground running. So I think that's where they need to be, to be focusing on this season because I think, as you said earlier, I think Raul, he's just on that decline now. I think the head injury is just, I don't know, it's a major factor behind it. But, you know, he's 30, 31 years old now. He's he's not going to get any better, you wouldn't have thought. And, and, and he's going to lose a lot of his physical attributes. So he we need to really pull the trigger. And, and there's no room for sentimental uh, nature in football. You know, we we need to we need to move him on, and we need to bring somebody in because the only the only, the only people who will suffer it is us as fans. Because at the end of the day, Wolves are just going to decline, and we'll we'll go down the table um, and probably slip down into like fifteenth and and below next season if we don't 
focus on the areas of goal scoring. I think because we were very lucky last year with regards to how good Jose Sar was. Yeah. Um, and I think if we have another season like that, I think we're really starting to play with fire. I don't think we're under any pretense of falling towards the bottom five, but you'll be a hell of a lot closer if we take the risks that we did this year. This year, So I think that's, like you say, it's going to be an area we have to look at. Yeah, I mean, we've kind of, I feel like I've become a bit numb to how poor our goal scoring record is now, even compared to like some pretty average teams in mid-table within the Premier League. Yeah, we, we're so that luster in, in, in that sense. It will almost be amazing and, and alarming to see us start scoring goals at a normal rate again. Um, but we'll see. It's, uh, it, it's definitely um, going to be an interesting summer. I, I, I do... The Raul thing is, I'm in, I'm in two minds about it. Um, I, I think he's, he's one of those players that he hasn't, he's not overworked as a striker over the, over his career. I, th- I feel like he's still probably, you know, especially considering the amount of game time he got, like Benfica, it, it, it wasn't really a lot to speak about. But um, and I wonder if he's still got. And you've seen, we're seeing, you know, older strikers really flourish these days with the likes of Benzema, Lewandowski. You know, there's still a place for it, um, but yeah, there's a lot, lot yet to happen in the summer. And to be honest, we probably need to get a bit of a move on with it um, because uh, preseason is fast approaching. Um, that kind of leaves us with this as a proposed lineup uh, going into next season. Um, interesting prospects. Um, Obviously, no Neves there, but Gibbs White integrated as well. Dan, how, how would you kind of see this team playing in, in terms of style, in terms of you know, where, where the, how the component parts kind of fit together? Um, it's a good question. I think you'd see a lot of build-up on the left-hand side, just purely because I, I'm still of the opinion that Smedo is a bit of a, a net negative in possession. I think when he can, he'll always double back and, and play either sideways or, or back to his centre-back. So I think you'd see a lot of sort of Nuri, Nunes and Neto linking up and, and moving in, in around that area. Um, I, I think we have to play Podence in the 10. I, I think I said it in the plan and he's the most creative player we currently have on, in the squad. Um, and I think, you you know, when you have Gibbs White, you, you're not only getting a, someone who can play on that right-hand side, you, you're getting a goal threat as well. Um, so I think you can look at a Pender and Gibbs right there and say you've actually got quite a fluid, interchangeable sort of thing going on there where, where Gibbs White might be the most sort of furthest forward player for certain attacks and Pender might switch out to the right and, and vice versa. I think it's it's fluid. It's got a good base with, with Sousa there who would break up everything. Um, obviously, the introduction at Ahmed Hodzic is, would be massive at the back. That sort of size is... The sort of side that challenges for, for top eight, top seven, and and possibly beyond. I think that's the sort of quality you're looking at there. Yeah, I think I think looking at that. Yeah, I think that's the sort of thing that West Ham have done. I think the, the sort of side that they built, and it's in the same sort of mould. That front four is so fluid. You've got people who can interchange with positions real easily. Pedence, Neto, Gibbs, White. Those front three moving around, appender picking up positions in in the channels. You. That's where we'd be the most dangerous, and I think that's a, a great-looking system. Um, and I think that would be where we'd flourish, and I think we'd do the do our best stuff. Uh, I think Souza 
like you say, as the anchor uh, with Nunes alongside him. I think that would be the evolution that we've all been uh, screaming for in recent times. And I think, uh, yeah, that sort of fluidity and interchanging nature of the side would only benefit us going forward. Yeah, I mean... What this doesn't obviously show is, is the level of depth that we we would have. I think as a result of bringing these players in as well. I think there's there's players like Fabio, um, you know, even players like Dendonka, Matinho, if he's still at the club as well. It just just gives you that little bit of a you know a firm base if things aren't quite working in the game. You know, opportunity to change things as well. And um, you know, with someone like Johnny not not getting into this lineup, it's. Uh, it, it, the squad look uh, would look a hell of a lot healthier than it probably has done for you know many many years actually, given how small the squads uh, always been since Fosun have arrived. Um, that's all kind of we've got time for really today, guys. Um, appreciate you all joining us. Now um, there's a hell of a lot more detail, obviously, in uh, Dan, the man with the plan, uh, his recruitment plan. Um, so you can go out. Ha- go out ahead and find out a hell of a lot more about thoughts on the current setup, the current team and, and, and what strengths and weaknesses have been identified there and, and how we've gone, ended up coming up with um, how Dan's ended up coming up with uh, the, the, the proposals that he's done. So in this, um, in this plan now, obviously we all know Simon Mendes clients anyway, um, but it was a, an incredible piece of work and I commend you on them. Um, on doing that, Dan, it's it's been really, really insightful reading through it, and uh, I'm sure lots of people have have, have learned a hell of a lot for a start, and uh, have enjoyed uh, kind of finding out a lot more about these players and things. So, thank you for that. No, I appreciate, it, mate, and thank you for uh, thank you for your input. I think without it, I'd have um, there was a couple of evenings where I was thinking, I don't know what I'm doing here. I need something to sort of revert back to to be able to look at and just go, right, that's my base for things. And your input was definitely valued in that way. So, no, I appreciate that as well. No worries. Anytime, anytime. Um, obviously, you can find Dan uh, on Twitter at D Butler Analysis. We'll uh, we'll retweet his uh, his link to to the um, to the whole document where you can find out all the all the details about you know, all the players that are running across the bottom of the screen now as well. And um, so, lots more to be to be seen if you haven't already read through. But from myself, Jafo, and Dan, thank you for. Who would be a Wolves fan, eh?